and answered number seven and i am john di giacomo and i am an internet and intellectual property attorney with revision legal and asked and answered is our podcast on internet and intellectual property law and typically i am joined by my partner eric misterovich but he's not with me today so this is the 4th of July weekend, or at least we're going into it, and today is July 2nd, and the 4th of July is my favorite holiday. And why is that? Well, 4th of July is my favorite holiday because the place that we live, uh, Traverse City, Michigan, is inherently beautiful during this time of year. I am currently overlooking what is called West Grand Traverse Bay, which is a bay on Lake Michigan. It's about 76 degrees. It's incredibly beautiful out. There's sailboats out there. There's a festival being set up. It's called the National Cherry Festival, of all things, which sounds kind of corny, but in some ways it is, but it's actually a very cool thing that celebrates the cherry harvest, the cherry blossoms, and our our local food culture. And really, I, I love the 4th of July because I love America, as weird as that sounds. I just spent a bunch of time traveling in Switzerland, which is an incredible country, incredibly beautiful. They do have a hell of a lot of things much better than we do. But I like America, and I like freedom. And as our listeners know, this is a pirate ship, much like America was when it was founded. And so I have a certain place in my heart for pirate ships and tests, including government tests. Unfortunately, Eric Mysterovich, my partner, is not able to join us today because he doesn't like America. He's in Canada, like a communist, eating maple syrup. So, like a bald eagle, I'm going to solo this one. Today we're going to talk about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is an international treaty that is currently being discussed and will likely be signed within the near future. And, like a bald eagle, I'm going to dub this show... America, fuck yeah. This is America. We pledge allegiance to the flag. So what is the Trans-Pacific Partnership? Well, the Trans-Pacific Partnership is a free trade agreement that is currently under negotiation between 12 countries. Those are Australia, Brunei, Canada, Chile, uh, Japan, Malaysia, Mexico, uh, New Zealand, Peru, Singapore, the United States, and even Vietnam. So even old communist countries are now getting involved in the free trade game, which is pretty interesting to see. So the TPP, as I'm going to refer to it, uh, is a massive, massive treaty. Um, And there are some pieces of intellectual property legislation contained within that treaty that are very interesting, which is what I'm going to cover today. I'm not going to cover all of those pieces of intellectual property legislation. 
but I think the I've picked out a few that I think are the most interesting. So the TPP has uh, gotten a lot of press lately, uh, most recently because the TT excuse me the TPP fast track bill was signed by President Obama, which now provides him with the power that he needs to complete the negotiations over this trade bill. And it's been pretty controversial. In the internet space, the internet law space included, TPP is seen as a massive expansion of intellectual property rights and really a means by which American corporations have forced, um, I guess, South Pacific nations to adopt intellectual property perspectives that are inherently American. And that might be a problem, might not be a problem. I'm not taking a position on it at all, but it's just an interesting time to be alive as an intellectual property attorney, and it's really an interesting time to be alive as a person who's interested in global trade. So let's take a look at some of these intellectual property provisions of the TPP. So let's let's start with trademarks. The trademark provisions... And the TPP, excuse me, are are fairly straightforward. Trademark uh, legislation in the United States falls under what's called the Lanham Act. And the Lanham Act requires uh, basically the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and federal courts to recognize trademark protection in sounds and scents. So provided that a sound or a scent can serve as the indicator of goods or services and be distinctive, it is eligible for trademark protection under the Lanham Act. Well, TRIPS, which was the previous treaty, allowed signatories to condition trademark protection on the fact that a mark was visually perceptible, meaning that the mark could be seen. Now, under the at least the released or leaked version of TPP, that's not the case you have to recognize both sound and scent marks. And that's a change. Additionally, the TPP provides that owners of registered trademarks have the right to prohibit third parties from using their trademarks in trade, and it also prohibits third parties from using similar signs for goods or services that are related to those goods or services for which a trademark is registered. So the test of whether or not something constitutes infringement is whether or not the infringer is using a similar sign for goods or services that are related to those goods or services for which a trademark is registered. Now, in contrast to that test, the Lanham Act, the U.S. Trademark Act, states that a third party may not use in commerce any colorable imitation of a registered mark in connection with the sale, the offering for sale, the distribution, the advertising of any goods or services or in connection with any such use that is likely to cause confusion. So, again, this is a lot of words, but the underlying idea is that the standard under the U.S. Trademark Act is consumer confusion, whereas the standard under the TPP seems, at least at this first glance, to be a little bit broader than the Lanham Act's prohibition on use in association with goods or services if that use is likely to cause confusion. So, you know, rightfully so, a lot of people are concerned that this acts as a broadening of the scope of trademark law that could have, you know, numerous unintended consequences, such as uh, free speech consequences. Now, in the United States, we've created this famous trademark doctrine. 
And famous marks are given an additional amount of protection to protect against really brand dilution, which is the dilution of the brand through third-party uses, and tarnishment. And these protections are extended even where there is no danger that consumers will be confused into believing that goods bearing a mark similar to a famous mark originates from the same source. So recall that I just said that likelihood of confusion is the key test under U.S. trademark law. Well, that's not really the test when it comes to dilution. Uh, Dilution by blurring or tarnishment, the test is whether or not there is blurring or tarnishment. The idea is that some brands are so big that they deserve special protection. These would be brands like Coca-Cola or Disney or brands of that size and caliber. Well, the TPP states that a party may not require registration of a trade doesn't excuse me doesn't need to require a registration of a trademark for it to be considered well known. Well, that's a change. Typically, registration would be needed to be considered a well known or a famous mark. And, and let me make a side note that well known is the standard under TPP. It's not famous as it is in the U.S. Act. Now. In determining whether a mark is well-known or famous, as it would be in the United States, no signatory country is allowed to require that the reputation of that trademark extend beyond the sector of the public that normally deals with the relevant goods or services. good example would be in the manufacturing industry. If there is a manufacturing industry trademark that is famous or well-known, within that industry, but it's not famous or well-known outside of that industry, it can still achieve well-known status under TPP. This language indicates that it will be a lot easier for a mark to be considered well-known under TPP, which is concerning because, uh, especially in the United States when we adopted this Dilution Act, uh, individuals were concerned that trademark owners would overextend and Uh, use their rights to silent, legitimate free speech. Um, A good case was the uh, Coca-Cola t-shirt case where somebody took the Coca-Cola logo and trade dress design and used it for a t-shirt that said cocaine, basically enjoy cocaine. Well, you know, Coca-Cola doesn't like that, obviously, so why would they not extend their rights and and try to uh, prohibit those types of uses, which they believe tarnishes their brand identity? Well, now there may be more opportunities for this, both from a national perspective and from an international perspective in light of TPP. Now, another change, and the final change that I'll discuss with trademark law, is that under the prior agreement, which was TRIPS, prior treaty, geographical indicators, which are terms that indicate the origin of a good or service based on its geographic location, such as a wine region, were contained within a a separate section of the trade agreement. This was separate from trademark law. So in the United States, we don't do that. We recognize trademark rights and geographical indicators if they are used as a mark and if they have acquired what's called secondary meaning. Now, under the TPP bill, excuse me, the TPP treaty, it appears that geographical indicators are going to be considered to be a component of trademark law. Now, that means that signatories can allow trademark protection of geographical indicators, uh, but there are some protections. In a a contest between a trademark owner and a geographical indicator, 
the generic use of a geographical indicator will serve as a defense of infringement. This is pretty much standard U.S. law. For example, the Cherry Festival is going on right now. Cherry Capital is what we call this geographic area. We call it the Cherry Capital of the world. Now, if somebody uses the term Cherry Capital in a geographically descriptive sense and then later gets sued by somebody using uh, cherry capital in a trademark sense that has acquired what we call secondary meaning, the person using cherry capital, cha- excuse me, cherry capital in a geographic descriptive sense would be able to assert that geographically descriptive sense as a uh, defense in a trademark lawsuit. Now, again, this is not a huge change in comparison to U.S. law, because U.S. law already does this, but for the purposes of a treaty, this is a pretty big change. Now, let's talk about copyright law. There's some major changes coming, at least, you know, indicated to come in TPP uh, with respect to copyright law. Now, the biggest change, or at least one of the biggest changes I see is the temporary copies change. Now, under U.S. law, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, which was an act uh, enacted in, I believe, 1996, states that copyright rights do not extend to temporary or transitory copies. What, well, what does this mean? Well, for example, a piece of code uh, typically in a when you run a piece of software, a piece of code is run into RAM, and it's temporarily temporarily stored in RAM and loaded into RAM to operate that piece of software. Now, U.S. law does not extend protection to that temporary copy that is loaded into RAM. And there's a number of good reasons for this, and it was litigated pretty extensively uh, over the years, which is why it resulted in a statutory provision in the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Now, under TPP, signatories are authorized to prohibit reproductions of works, including temporary reproductions of works that are stored in electronic form. This is a pretty drastic increase in the scope of copyright rights, and it potentially makes the act of loading a computer program into RAM or even caching a website an act of infringement. For example, under U.S. law, Internet service providers cannot be held liable for the temporary storage or indexing of material. There's a good reason for that. We don't want to hold Google liable for indexing, uh, for example, search engine results. But it's unclear whether this exemption will remain for the signatories of TPP. Signatories of TPP can basically prohibit those types of activities, at least that's what it appears at this stage. Now, the next uh, interesting piece of law is parallel imports. Parallel imports um, are the idea that if you buy something Uh, in another country, you should be able to import it into the United States and sell it, regardless of the fact that you bought it in another country. Now, under U.S. law, we have this doctrine called copyright first sale doctrine. And the copyright first sale doctrine states that the first sale of a good cuts off the copyright owner's rights to control that good. Now, this is why we have a robust market in used video games and movies, And those types of stores are able to sell copyrighted materials without facing the threat of a copyright infringement lawsuit. Now, if the first sale doctrine didn't exist, which in some cases after a case called Werner v. Autodesk, it might not, uh, used video game stores would be essentially illegal because the rights, uh, the right to control that good, that copyrighted material, 
would continue even after that copyrighted material was sold to the end user or the consumer. Now, the first sale doctrine also applies in the United States to goods that are purchased outside of the United States. Now, that means that if you purchase what are called gray market goods, for example, if you go to uh, Mexico or Argentina or Australia to buy goods that are cheaper there, um, for example, if you want to buy a coach bag and it's cheaper in, let's say, Argentina as opposed to the United States, those goods, if they were legitimately purchased outside of the United States, can be imported into the United States and then resold. And this is important because a lot of people will buy goods from a different territory where the purchasing power is lower, and they'll buy them at a cheaper price. They'll import them into the United States, and then they will sell them for a rate below market rate within the United States. Now, under current U.S. law, you cannot be held liable in most circumstances for the resale of those types of goods. Well, under TPP, signatories to that treaty can now either authorize or prohibit the sale of these gray market goods depending on the preference of the country. This could either increase the market for gray market goods or it could destroy the market for gray market goods. It really depends, but it's a pretty interesting development. Now, one of the big, big changes for a lot of South Asian nations that are signing or will likely sign this TPP agreement is that the copyright duration is going to be extended. TPP extends the duration of copyright protection for the life of the author plus 70 years after the author's death. Now, this is very similar to the duration of copyright protection in the United States, which was extended via the Sonny Bono Act, which was very controversial. And for uh, other nations to adopt this lengthy term of copyright protection means that a lot of works that otherwise would fall into the public domain that could be remixed and reused and built upon will not be eligible for those types of reuses or remixing purposes. So this is a very huge change, um, and it's it almost seems like the U.S. or U.S. corporations are extending their want for longer intellectual property protection into South Asian nations, which is a, a large worry for a lot of people in the Internet space. Now, another large worry is the anti-circumvention provisions. Anti-circumvention provisions are intended to protect against uh, circumventing technological protection measures, typically digital rights management measures, so that uh, basically you can't copy an underlying copyrighted work. Under U.S. law uh, and under the TPP, there are protections against the circumvention of technological protection measures, such as digital right management technologies. Now, TPP diverges from U.S. law by prohibiting devices and services that not only have the purpose of circumventing technological protection measures, but also facilitate or enable circumvention. So that's a broader standard. So a large swath of things that uh, otherwise might be uh, legal under U.S. law may now not be legal under TPP. 
and typically these issues arise in inkjet cartridges, for example. If somebody wants to make an off-brand of inkjet cartridge, the argument would be that uh, the anti-circumvention provisions would prohibit you from doing so because by doing so, you're circumventing a technological protection measure uh, that protects against third-party vendors from allowing inkjet cartridges to be compatible with your current system. The same is true for the new Keurig uh, 2.0. We saw a lot of press about that. Now, the TPP also says that its anti-circumvention provisions apply even if there is no underlying copyright infringement. Now, in the United States, we're currently in the courts debating this issue. The question is whether or not the anti-circumvention provisions of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act were intended to protect against an underlying claim of copyright infringement or whether or not they are their own cause of action. So, for example, in the case of an inkjet printer manufacturer, if the question is, if I, as a third-party manufacturer, create a inkjet cartridge and the interoperability of that inkjet cartridge does not cause a underlying copyright infringement, so I build it for, let's say, an HP machine, and by building it for an HP machine and allowing it to you know, be fitted into an HP machine, I don't violate any underlying copyright protection. Should that actually be a violation of the anti-circumvention provisions? Well, you know, that, with the TPP, that's out of the window. TPP says that they, these provisions, these anti-circumvention provisions apply even if there is no underlying copyright infringement. Now, <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty big deal. We just posted something on our blog yesterday about uh, basically a fight in front of the U.S. Copyright Office over 3D printer manufacturers and their fight against uh, third-party creators of plastic inserts so that you don't have to use the manufacturer's plastic when you're operating your 3D printer. If there doesn't have to be an underlying copyright infringement claim in order for a company like a 3D printer manufacturer to use those anti-circumvention provisions as a sword, we may see a disruption in the market for third-party, for example, inkjet cartridges, third-party 3D printer, plastic material, etc. So this is a pretty interesting provision, and it could result in some pretty interesting changes, uh, both nationally and internationally. Now, the last thing that I wanted to talk about is damages. Under international copyright law, Typically, you won't find what are called statutory damages. Statutory damages are damages that exist because actual damages are either too costly or too difficult to determine. And so statutory damages serve as a kind of a a judgmental heuristic or a shortcut to getting large amounts of damages without having to prove actual damages. The idea behind statutory damages is that statutory damages should be a they should be sufficiently high to serve as a deterrent for future infringements. Now TPP requires that its signatories create a system of statutory damages that are sufficiently high to constitute a deterrent to future infringements. Now Europeans typically look at US copyright law and they say 
what the hell are you guys doing over there? Why can somebody be held liable for up to $150,000 for downloading a movie? Well, the reason why is because of statutory damages, because for some reason the Congress said this is the incentive for people not to download movies. We're going to make this sufficiently high to deter this conduct, and therefore people won't download movies. Well, you know, that didn't happen, obviously. But that theory underlying the statutory damages is now being extended by treaty to these South Asian nations, which could result in some in- interesting consequences. It could result in uh, a curtailing of uh, fair use rights, for example, because fair use, for example, in the United States relies on a defense. It's not a right. It is a you know right per se. It's a defense to a copyright infringement lawsuit. Defenses are expensive to assert. So... Typically, lawyers will advise clients to get a license, which results in this kind of reciprocal world where no one challenges the rights with fair use. Well, in the presence of huge penalties because of statutory damages, fair use starts to go even further away because no one wants to take the risk in asserting a fair use defense that they might ultimately be hit with statutory damages. So it's a real risk, and it's a pretty interesting provision that uh, is contained within this TPP. And that's all I've got for you this week. I just want to say happy 4th of July, and I think, uh, or at least I hope everybody enjoys this holiday. I hope you have a nice barbecue or whatever you like to do with your families. And I'd just like to say thank you, uh, America, and America, fuck yeah. Have a great fourth. Where the lights of the strip mall go marching on From sea to shining sea And the Walmart sign, it stays on all night Making a pull, but to feed the poor Well, you're taking the bus to the midnight shift And you never get to sleep at night That's okay, cause you'll drink away all your overdue overtime pay Oh, it's the end of America's dream.